0: One of the things that I failed to mention last week, uh, when we were in verse uh, four, is that there was a shift in verbiage. There was a shift from the third person language to the to the four, to to the to the first person language. What happens is is David's talking about the nature of God, right? He's talking about this is how the Lord is, and the Lord leads us like a shepherd. And then he changes the language and he says, "You." For the first time last week, we talked about that you. And uh, so it's changing. It's changing from he making a, a factual statement, making a declaration about God to you. And the language shifts from, from personal to intimate. All, all, all of a sudden, it's no longer subjective. It's not about like looking at God and saying, yeah, this is the way God is. It's saying you. It's actually changing the angle on which this, the psalmist is speaking here. How many know that this is the difference between knowledge and revelation? Are you with me? You can know something all day long, the fact about that all day long, but until it becomes real in your life, it doesn't change anything. Listen, you can have the whole Bible memorized, but if you don't have the Spirit of God to bring revelation to it, it is not going to bring change in your life. It's just a book full of good stuff. Come on, are you with me? And uh, so that's the difference between knowledge and revelation. Information. Versus revelation. So it's not just, you know how it is when you read the word and it's like, boom, what? I've read it a hundred times and all of a sudden you see it and you, you recognize how that fits into your life. That's called revelation. The word didn't change. It's always been there. But all of a sudden the, the veil of your understanding has been lifted and now you get it. It's, it's like saying this. We can walk around and say God is good all the time, right? God is good. Right? You're making a fact. That's a factual statement. But it's totally different when you say God is good to me. Yeah. <laughs> Are you with me? Yeah. It's a total different thing to say God is good and to recognize the truth and the reality of God's goodness. It's another thing to apply that to my life and say God is good to me. Some of you need to quit focusing on the facts about God and start talking about how God is active in your life. God is good to me. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, God is good to me. His rod and staff comfort me. So he gets into this language and then he jumps into verse five and he says, This you. Now, so he's not he prepares, it's you. He's not like, oh, this is what God does, guys. You. Prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Now, what does that mean? Prepare a table. Prepare a table. Now, um, table, the word table in um In other languages, in in Spanish, the word table is actually mesa. You guys know what a mesa is? I think we have a picture of a mesa here. Do we have a picture of a mesa? So this this is a mesa, right? It's a a lifted ground, and it's flat on top. Well, the the word for table in Spanish is mesa. Also, the African word for table is mesa. So what would happen a lot of times, we can get off that, what would happen a lot of times is a shepherd would go out to one of these mesas. Are you with me? A flat plateau of land, and he began surveying the land, looking around the land, pulling up weeds. Come on. Things that would steal food. I mean, you know that's what weeds do. Weeds steal the nutrients from your grass. That's why you got to go pull them up before they rot your grass out, and you don't have any pretty grass and all you guys ugly weeds. Right? That's why we don't like weeds, because they steal from grass. So they would go through, they would pull the weeds up, they'd go through the water holes and make sure there's no leaves and no parasites and all those kind of things. And this is what a shepherd would do before he would lead them to these high places to feast. Now, I want to focus on that word this morning, prepares. Prepares. Now, this might or might not be, the Mesa thing might or might not be what the psalmist is referring to. But I'll tell you, one thing that he is saying is that he prepares a table. He prepares. That word prepare is a word that's arak, which is kind of like arak, but it's arak. And it means to arrange or set in order, paying fine attention to detail. Now, when God prepares something for you, he doesn't just go, here it is. No, 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 no. He fine-tunes it. He goes through. He combs over it well. He makes sure it's ready. He makes sure it's appealing. It's like, how many of y'all have ever been, like, I, I, the, only, the only really, like, fine restaurants I've ever been in was on a cruise, right, where they prepare, like, a real fine meal. You know what I'm talking about? And, but, but if you've ever had a fine meal prepared for you, they, they don't just, like, throw the food on a plate. It's not like you go to Golden Corral and you're, like, prepare your own table, right? But, but someone prepares that for you. They make it look all pretty, Right? And then they bring it out, and it's all fancy, and it tastes better because it looks good, right? Sometimes it looks better than it tastes, right? How many? I I, I like to cook, but most of the time it tastes better than it looks, right? Because I don't really pay attention to the detail. i just pay attention. But I'm telling you, when God prepares a meal, he goes in and he ordains. The word—the same word that we use, ordain. So God ordains. He takes this moment in time, and he prepares everything just perfect for you. And he prepares a meal for you. He pulls up the weeds. He clears up the water hole. He cleans up the streams. All these things to prepare a place for you to feast. Now, how many know that when we eat... It is not according to our need. It's according to heaven's provision. I'm telling you, he prepares it. You didn't prepare it. If you were to prepare it, you would prepare it fashioned for your need. God doesn't prepare meals that way. God doesn't prepare meals according to your need. He prepares meals according to heaven's provision. That's why it says in Philippians 4.19 that he supplies your need. According to what? His riches and glory. Not according to your riches. Not according to your clever ideas. Not according to what's in your refrigerator. I mean, only God prepares a meal for you. He don't go for your resources. He brings heaven's resources. This is the way God provides us according to his riches and glory. Isn't it so easy to trust a God like that? You know, I can't find a scripture that says God gives enough for us just to get by. I know that that's popular for people to say, man, sometimes God just gives us enough to get by. So we just don't become, so we stay dependent upon God. I can't find the scripture that says God gives you enough to get by. No, 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 no. It, the, over and over and over and over and over again, it talks about heaven's resources. It talks about God giving you more than enough. It's always more than enough. That's the way God provides because it's not according to your need. It's according to his provision. It's the way God prepares tables. It's a king. He's a king. He doesn't prepare like a beggar. He didn't prepare like a poor man or someone that's living by paycheck to paycheck. He is a man that goes and pulls out the fine dinner where when we have people over, some I mean, we have people over on community group and we get out like the paper plates, you know, we know them, we're a community, we can, you know, there's some socks on the floor, that's all right, we have some people come over. But I'm telling you what, if somebody's over for our house for the first time, we go through with a fine comb, when we clean the house, we pull out the nicest plates and we pour, you know, when when, when Nathan and Brooke come over, it's like we just we just eat whatever, you know, the house kind of a mess, you know, pick up some, some, you uh, Underwear or something from the t- but when somebody comes over and we want to impress them are you with me we do the fine things why because we, because this is the first time that we're making a, a, um, a the, an impression to them we want them to see we don't live dirty like that and we don't but um, but how many know that God. Does that every time for us. When he prepares something, he prepares it like it's a kingly feast. He doesn't prepare it like it's a beggar's feast. And so many people approach God like that, like, I'm just a beggar, just a beggar. Listen, you are called to be desperate. You're called to be like a beggar in spirit. But God don't treat you like a beggar. God don't give you no no uh, sandwich after church fellowship. Lord, what will we provide? Oh, just a little sandwich, a little, a little peanut butter and jelly sandwich. The government provided. That it isn't the way God does things. God doesn't prepare meals like that. No, no, no. God brings out the great table. He prepares that table. Now, when we're talking about table, we're not talking about a wooden instrument. Come on. We're talking about a feast. That's the way God prepares. When he prepares a meal, that's how he prepares it. I like this. I would say I love it, but I say that all the time. I like this, and I love it. Psalm 3410. Even strong lions sometimes go hungry. But those who trust in the Lord will lack no good thing. Will lack no good thing. I like lions. They're like like my favorite creature, right? Because they're aggressive and they're bold and they're ambitious and they go after what they want and they get it. But it says this even young lions, even lions that are, that are ambitious and have it all figured out and are strong, sometimes they get hungry. Not you and I. Mm-mm. We lack no good thing. And we don't get it because we're ambitious, we don't get it because we're strong. We don't get it because we're the smartest man in the room. We get it because we serve the greatest God. We serve the only God. I love Song of Songs uh, 2-4, Song of Solomon. It says that he escorts me to the banqueting table. And I like the way the New Living Translation says, it's obvious how much he loves me. So he didn't, listen, he didn't prepare you some, some styrofoam plate with a with the what? With the chicken nugget. With some microwave Walmart chicken nuggets. Here we go. I know you're hungry. Here you go, son. No, 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 no. Not my God. He don't serve meals like that. No, no, no. He brings out the finest china. He brings out the silverware that's made of silver. Right? <laughs> the little plastic things. He don't He don't bring you, you know, sometimes we used to think it was kind of fancy to get one of those, uh, one of those, um, Those rotisserie chickens from Walmart. We're going to have a good meal tonight. We're going to throw some of that steamable broccoli in the fridge and make some instant mashed potatoes. And man, it's going to be good. And it's good. But listen, God don't prepare meals like that. Mm -mm. Not no, from scratch. That's what you do to eat. But that's not how He provides. It's obvious how much He brings me to the banqueting table. Now, don't you get all like big for your britches and don't be like, well, oh. I'm not gonna No no you need to you need to keep in mind that God God is a good provider and He does take care of you and there are difficulties in our life and we'll talk about that in a minute. But He escorts you He escorts you to His banqueting table, to His banqueting Hall, He takes you there. You know all you gotta do? All you got to do is say yes to the invitation. Remember Jesus talking about a banquet? He said, he said, I went out and I told everybody. He talks about the parable of the banquet. He's like, well, we went out, we told everybody, and they begin to make excuses. Well, I worked 40, 50 hours this week. Well, we're tired. We don't feel very good. All the excuses piling up. And Jesus said, well, you know what? Just go to the highways and byways and compel them to come in. Let them eat from the master's table. Listen, there all you got to do all you got to do is say yes to the invitation. Now listen, because we have such a capable shepherd, we are able to feast when our enemies are present. Now this is what he says. Now, if you were at war, would you sit down Okay, I'll be right there. Oh, sorry. I'm <laughs> oh, hold on. No, no, we think war. You eat like an MRE. You eat something. A little snag, little granola bar because you're in a hurry. Whatever. Right. Little chicken. Microwave chicken nugget. <laughs> it's not even chicken. It's like some like skin or something from chicken. God bless the children of the world dinosaurs chicken chicken shaped like dinosaur sorry but you don't eat that right you don't have to eat that but that's what we think when we're at war we we think we just had to you know just eat whatever we can so we'll have enough energy but but it says this no 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 no. god prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies even when your enemies are present now that tells me something that tells me this we will have enemies even if we are following the good shepherd, we will have enemies. You, you have three enemies, by the way. You have the devil, you have the world, and you have your flesh. Those are the enemies of your soul. Are you with me? So you die to your flesh. Jesus defeated the animal, the, the, de- the devil, animal, devil, <laughs> the devil, and you are overcoming the world. Are you with me? That was free. Oh good. Oh, next series. do. <laughs> we will have enemies. We will suffer persecution. Can I tell you that people will hurt you because they have a flesh also and there's a real devil? We will suffer persecution. Listen, I can tell you right now, as your pastor, let me tell you one of the greatest things that will happen to the American church is the persecution that we're going through right now. It's one of the greatest things that will ever happen to the church. We can sit around and sign bills and make complaints and pray petitions and all these kind of things. But I can tell you, as this world gets darker, the church will get brighter. And you'll watch that happen in America. What's happened in the American church and the reason why we have lost our fire is because we haven't chosen to be a light in a dark place. And the world has been in our, you know, we think it's so dark in America. Listen, there's countries that are way worse than America. All you got to do is turn on the news and you can see where Christians are getting beheaded. Let that happen in America, which it'll be happening, I can promise you, in the next 40 years. You take, you can write that down. Pastor Josh said it in 40 years. You watch. Americans, uh, uh, American Christians will be martyred. Yeah. I'll say that within 40 years. I'm okay with saying that. Maybe I'll change that when I get 40 years from now. I'll be dead yet. I hope not. But, um, but uh, let me tell you, it's going to get dark. It's going to be bar- dark, but let me tell you what. It'll be one of the best things that ever happened to the church because it's going to get rid of all these people that are calling themselves Christians Listen, if we don't have a few enemies, then we're not really being like Jesus. I mean, Jesus had enemies. If you're not stirring some feathers a little bit because of your faith, it's because you're not demonstrating your faith enough. Now, listen, they should know us by our love, but we still have a righteous standard. We better be loving. We better be affectionate. I'm not talking about you being judgmental and you have a bad personality. It's turning people off. No, no, no. That's your flesh. That's the enemy. I'm talking about you loving people, but still standing for what's right. Christians aren't getting killed. Listen, there's been more Christians killed in the last hundred years than there ever has been in, in the history of the world. Persecution's coming. You get to live in America, thank God. Quit p- complaining about it so much. American church. Well, where would you be without the American church? It's still the broader cross is still God's plan A, and he ain't got a plan B. So what are you going to do to change that? Complain about it? Yeah, that does a lot of good. All right. Let me also say this. If the devil's not on your back, he's on your side. That's a Josh Brownism. The devil's not on your back, he's on your side. I firmly believe that. If you're not experiencing attack, it's probably because you're not living righteous. It's probably because you're not pursuing Jesus. It's probably because you're not you're not a threat to the devil's camp. I'm telling you what, when we start living with purpose, we start living for God, you watch, all hell hell will break loose against you. But guess what you'll be doing? You'll be eating. Because he prepares a table for you in the presence of your enemies. So what are you going to do when it gets real hard? I'm going to eat. Because my God provides a table right there when it's hard, when it's difficult, when I'm dry. He provides water when I'm thirsty. This is what he does, and it's not my water. It's his water. It's everlasting water, and when I drink it, it don't just quench my thirst. It puts a river in me. Didn't you say that before? Yeah, we're gonna keep saying it till we're done. Some things we'll just say forever, and that's okay. Listen, you will have enemies, you will suffer persecution, you will experience difficulty. Now listen, persecution isn't somebody dislikes your Facebook, or, you know, or, or argues with me on you. That's that's not persecution. Let, let's just be real. They didn't like my post. That's not persecution. Persecution's not they didn't show up to the meeting. Uh, we feel like that oh, these people would show up. That's not persecution. We can complain about it. It doesn't feel good, but that's not persecution. It might be difficulty. We're not minimizing those things. Those things hurt our feelings. There are hardships. There's trials. All these things are promised. They're as promised as the provision. Hardships are as promised as the provision to get through them. If you didn't have the hardship, why would you need the promise? How is there victory without no battle? The devil hates you. He hates your marriage. He hates your kids. He hates your friends. He hates your church. He hates your pastor. He hates you. And he's going to do everything because you are a threat to his kingdom. He's going to do everything to stop you. So expect offense to try to rise up in you, expect that, and then deal with it. And don't feast on the offense, feast on the table the Lord provides. he's cut, let, let me tell you, Jesus is after you, but so is the devil and they're they're both trying to kill you. Jesus is trying to kill your flesh <laughs> right? That's true. No no, he wants you on the earth. He wants you functioning well because you're advancing his kingdom. come on, and if you make his kingdom first, he'll provide everything for you. Listen, here's, here you go. Romans 8, 17 says, We are his children. We are his heirs. Hallelujah. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of the glory of God. Wow. But if we share in his glory, we must also share in his suffering. Now, it doesn't say sickness there. Now, people, people equate suffering in Scripture with sickness. No, 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 no. Suffering in Scripture is always Persecution. I don't see one one scripture where God make uh, under the covenant of Jesus. This says that God makes somebody sick. That's ridiculous. And Jesus wouldn't wouldn't take sickness wouldn't deal with sickness on the cross if it was his plan to reinitiate it. All right, Second uh, Timothy three twelve. Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus, will be persecuted. Good. Everyone. I can do all things through Christ. That's a great bumper sticker. Look at this one. Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Put that on Facebook. Put that on a refrigerator. Listen, it's a promise, it's a fact, it's a reality. You want to live a godly life, you will face persecution. Expect it, because even when the persecution's on, there's a table. How could Paul say, count all joy when you fall into trouble? Because there's a table. Because there's a table. There's always a place to eat from. And it's not just a dinosaur-shaped chicken nugget. <laughs> I wonder how they make those things. We have, like, this machine. that has got all this, like, pink stuff. Have you guys seen the pink stuff? Yeah. It's real chicken. (laughs) You know, it's sad that we live in a society that when it says chicken on the package, it has to say it's real chicken. (laughs) 100% chicken. (laughs) 98% chicken. (laughs) The breading is plastic. Okay. All right. Well, sometimes it tastes good. (laughs) Listen, in the hour of your most oppressive hour, And in in the hour of your most, in in the midst of your most oppressive hour, God establishes a banquet. And let me say this again. Freedom is not the absence of difficulty. Can I tell you this morning that God wants to partner with you, that you can be an instrument of freedom. You remember when David went out? We talked a little bit about David and Goliath last week. Remember when David went out and he's standing before Goliath, and Goliath's like, oh, you're just a kid. And David's standing there with his staff and his slingshot. And he's like, look at this. What do you you think you're doing sending this shepherd boy out here? And David's like, well, you know, you're coming at me with all this weaponry and all this junk that you got, and I'm coming to you in the name of the Lord. He said, today God is going to deliver this uncircumcised Philistine into my hand. Now, when he said that, he said, God's going to deliver me. So did David just, all right, see you later. No, David fought the battle. Why? Because God's deliverance on the earth always has an instrument, and you're that instrument. You're the one that God is using to bring freedom. He's using it to bring your own freedom. He's also using you to bring freedom in other people's lives. No battle, no victory, no opposition, no freedom. There's no need for promise. Now, in ancient uh, Eastern culture... A feast, uh, near Eastern culture, a feast host were expected to protect their guests. So when a, a feast was going on, what would happen is they would protect their guests. They would put watchmen outside of the banqueting hall. They would make sure that their guests can come in and eat a meal without fear. You could know that you were under the protection of the one that was providing the banquet for you. But another thing that they would do during these feasting times is they would take oil and anoint the people that come in. Now, anoint means to smear oil on them or pour oil on them. And so what would happen is they would come into this banquet, they'd eat this fancy meal, and then, it, then they would pour oil on them. Now, it was fragrant. It smelled pretty. They kind of would use it. Sometimes oil had different purposes. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But they would anoint them with fragrant oil. So not only would they eat like royalty, they would smell like royalty, not only will you eat like royalty, you're going to wreak royalty. You're, and listen, you're going to serve like Jesus. How did Jesus serve? Like a king. Royalty doesn't mean you have servants and you call servants. Royalty means you serve everybody. And you and you have such good confidence that you don't feel little cleaning bathrooms. That you don't feel little washing feet. That you don't feel little feeding somebody that's... No, 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 you feel great doing those things. Why? Because you're being like Jesus, and that's how royalty serves. It's not so you can have a bunch of servants and, you know, this messed up mindset. We, we live in the upside-down kingdom. We do things different. So he, the psalmist says this, You anoint my head with oil. You anoint my head with oil. Now, last fall, we did a series called Indwelling, and we did a whole series on the anointing. You can go back and listen to that. But I do want to highlight a few things about the oil. First thing is oil is used for healing. When it says in James to anoint them with oil, it's not just talking about some olive oil that a priest prayed for. It's actually a a healing balm that they would use. So they would actually, it's kind of like today, give them Advil and then pray for them. I mean, it really would be. I know that that's not spiritual enough for you, but it's true. So they would take this healing oil, and they would put it on people, like wherever they were, kind of like what we're doing with the essential oils now, this whole, like, movement. Everybody's getting into this. It's cool. It's great, I guess, whatever. Um, I know. You can buy yours on Facebook. We know. So sometimes with the sheep, he would go out, And he might get bit by a wolf, or he might step on a thorn, or something may happen and he suffers a wound. He's a sheep, he eats in the wild, sometimes he gets wounded. It's the way it is. You, you're gonna get wounded. People are going to wound you. You're going to suffer disappointment. You're going to be persecuted. You're going to be wounded. But the thing is, is we got a shepherd who knows how to apply the oil. And he pulls you in, and he begins to smear that oil on all those wounds. And that oil has healing agents in it. And he comes in, and he makes that wound nice and clean. And he just begins to pour the oil of his spirit in there and begins to heal you. That word anoint is Cairo. In the Greek, and it means to smear or rub with oil, and that's what the Good Shepherd does when we get wounded. And we we think sometimes, you know, it's it's so funny how we get when we get wounded. Sometimes we get a little scared, and we you know we we, we are like a we're we're so wounded we're afraid to even approach God about it. Have you ever been there? Like somebody hurts you, and you don't even want, you want to be spiritual to God and pretend like you're tough come on. I've been there. Somebody hurt me? I'm like, no, they're going hurt me. Hey, God. No, no. You get before the good shepherd because he's a good shepherd. You say, good shepherd, I'm wounded right here. And he's like, I know you're wounded. I've just been waiting for you to come to me so I could pour the oil in you, so I could bring healing to that hard place, to that place of your life that's hurting so oil is for healing. Second thing is oil is for debugging. Now, we talked about this in week two, if you remember. One of the things that sheep would suffer from was bot flies and nasal flies, and I'm not going to go way into the detail of it, but basically these flies would fly up in their nose and, nose and embed themselves in their nose, and it would drive the sheep crazy. They would bang their head up against stuff, sometimes killing themselves. They, they're, like, itching. They can't rest, nothing. So they got this thing going on inside their head that they don't even know what's wrong with them. But a good shepherd can recognize when something's wrong with them and he knows exactly what it is. So what the shepherd will do is he'll go and he'll catch these sheep and he'll bring them in and he'll begin to pour that oil on that sheep and it'll begin to deal with the nasal flies. It'll begin to deal with the bot flies and, the, and all those things, all those things that are causing destruction and confusion and all the things in their head that they can't deal with. And he just uses that oil and it's not just healing the wound, it's actually preventing those things from ever happening again. So oil is for debugging. Some some shep, if sheep were infested, if sheep were infested with disease, they would actually get a vat of oil, and they would dip. Have you seen anybody dip a dog that had ticks? They had this stuff called dip, right? And what they do is they take these dogs in this barrel, and they dip in this dip. Well, they would do that to sheep, they would find a, a, a place where they could go and there was enough oil and they would dip this sheep in that oil to get rid of everything on him that, that would, would hinder his, his livelihood. And I'm telling you, sometimes we need our head anointed, but sometimes we need our cup overflowing. So it not just get on our head, Lord, but, Lord, it pours down. It pours down my beard, and it pours down my body, and it pours down to my toes, and it gets in my crevices. And, and I spend weeks and weeks and weeks, and I'm still finding oil everywhere. Why does God do that to you? Because he loves you, and he cares about your livelihood, and he wants your cup running over. So oil is for debugging. And the third thing about oil is oil establishes purpose. Remember David sitting out one day, writing songs, watching sheep. He says a figure in the distance. It looks kind of familiar as he gets a little closer, and it's Saul. He says, Hey boy, come here. I know that somebody in your family is supposed to be the next king and have looked over your brothers, and they're better looking than you. They're taller than you. They're stronger than you, but you're the one. (laughs) And it says that Samuel anointed David. He got the oil and he poured on David like David had done many times to his sheep. Why would David anoint a sheep? Because a sheep has a purpose. If a sheep didn't have a purpose, he would just let it die because oil is costly. But he would take that oil and he would pour it on a sheep. And then God said, this is my sheep. And David said, you're my shepherd. And you anoint my head with oil. And you get rid of all my bugs. And you bring healing to my brokenness. And you have a purpose for my life. Can I tell you that there is an anointing on your life? And can I tell you that we say the an unanointing, but there's really only one anointing? It's the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And we like that word because it's mystical, but it says in 1 John 2.27, it says, The anointing abides in you. The anointing abides in you. What is that? That is... The anointing of the Spirit, the same Spirit that went into Jesus, as it talks about in Romans chapter 8, verse 11, where it says that the same Spirit that rose Christ from the dead now dwells in you. It's the Spirit of Jesus that God has smeared on your life because you have a purpose. What is my purpose? This is what your purpose is, the same purpose of Jesus. The spirit of the Lord, Luke chapter 4, verse 18, is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. I was poor once. He sent me to proclaim captives, that captives would be released. I was in bondage once, that the blind would see. I was blind once, that the oppressed would be set free. I was oppressed once. that the the time of the Lord's favor has come. Listen, that same anointing that was on Jesus to heal the sick, that same anointing that was on Jesus to, to, to free the captives, that same anointing that was on Jesus is on you because of the spirit that went into his dead body and rose him from the dead. It's on you. And it's not on you just for you. That anointing will come. It'll heal the wounds, but God put it in you because you have a purpose. Because he set you apart to do something phenomenal for God and something phenomenal for the kingdom. What are you going to do? Just make a bunch of money? You don't have to have the anointing to make a bunch of money. But I'm telling you, if you're going to do the purposes of God, if you're going to work for this king, you've got to have the oil. Okay. And he's giving it to you, baby. He is, it is on you. It's in you. Will you just say yes to it? Will you let the anointing flow when you're building houses? Will you let the anointing flow when you're counting money at the bank or waiting tables? Will you just let the anointing flow? You'll be better at it. You'll enjoy it. Scripture calls it the oil of gladness. Will you just let the anointing flow? Can I tell you, when you drink from this river... You don't get an option of letting it flow. It just does. You say, oh, man, I'm I'm trying, I'm trying. You don't have to try. You just have to drink. Now, listen, you have a mandate on your life to advance the kingdom of God. That doesn't mean you're going to be a preacher. You might be. Does that mean you're going to be in vocation? How many you know that there's no such thing as ministry and not ministry in the kingdom? There's just ministry. Some people are vocational ministers. I'm a vocational minister, vocational at other things too. But I'm a vocational minister. I get paid to do ministry. And That's awesome. I can devote a little bit more time to equipping the saints. But we are all called to minister. And listen, ministry doesn't look like just being a good person. Because you could be a Mormon and do that. But you can't be a Mormon and release the oil. You have a mandate on your life. Now, when I say mandate, I'm not talking about a man-date like romance. Now, we're going to have a man-date tonight, right? The men, we're going to go to Dave and Buster's and hang out, plug. Now, you do have a date with a man. Come on. Jesus. But... But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about there is an authority that's on your life that God has poured on you by the Spirit. He loved you enough to give you that oil because he has purpose for you. And whatever you're doing, God has a purpose in it. You're good at that because God wants you to be where you're at. Stop praying for another job. Release the kingdom and your job. If God wants you to have another job and you're putting the kingdom first, He'll promote you. You don't have to dig your way around and scratch your way around and invest thousands of dollars on education. You're not supposed to be doing that, but not necessarily. You just seek the kingdom first. Yeah. If the king, if God, if the king says, "Go to college," go to college. If the king says, "Don't go to college and go to work at Whataburger, you go to work at Whataburger. And in six months, you're the you're the manager of a region. Then know it's God. God put you there. Because you're putting the kingdom first. He takes care of everything. It's the mandate. How does he say this? My cup overflows. Listen, the anointing is not simply to enhance our experience, but to maximize our effectiveness. It's not just so you can come to church and be like, Oh, the anointing is so strong. I like that. I love it. Oh, the anointing has lifted. The anointing hadn't lifted? You lifted. <laughs> the anointing. How many. This is a well. They don't stop running. You just decide to peek your head in every once in a while. It's not something that flows on you, it's something that flows out of you. The spirit of prophecy is subject to the prophet. You get to turn it on and off. Well, I don't. God told me I can You get to do that. You have control of the spirit. Oh, no, 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 no. Silly. Listen, it's not for abundance, although abundance is included, it's for redundance. It's not just to get in you, it's to get out of you. So, these experiences that we have, these encounters that we have on Sunday morning, they're great, they're phenomenal, but they're not for you, just for you. They're for you in that moment, but it's not for you tomorrow. It might be, but tomorrow's got something else for you. But it's so that you can overflow with that oil. So the healing that came on you is going on to somebody else. So the freedom that came on you is flowing on to somebody else. It's the overflow. He didn't just say, you anoint my head with oil, the end. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. My cup overflows. We got this mentality. Lord, fill my cup. Now I'm empty. Lord, fill my cup. Now I'm empty. Lord, fill my cup. He's like, no, no, just keep your cup out. I'll just keep on pouring. The reason why you get empty on Monday and Thursday, the reason why you get empty is because you put your cup away. You just leave your cup right there when you're in the car, when you're working. You just learn to develop a relationship with the Holy Spirit where you're continually communing with God. You don't disconnect. You you might look a little different than it does in corporate worship. But you just keep your cup out, and he's going to keep pouring. It's just the way he works. Your cup is out, he pours. In fact, can I say this? He's always pouring. It's just where well, you get the cup out to pick some up. And then if it gets full, it's going to pour out. Stop this, fill my cup, and then I'll go empty it, and then I'll come back, Lord. And no, 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 no. no. It's continual. It's flow. It's overflow. It's flowing from you. So, how do we get there? You don't come out, baby? Mm. how you doing? <laughs> mm-hmm. well, overflow <laughs> So how do we do this? You keep a fork in your hand. <laughs> Why are you laughing? We're not talking about the oil anymore. Stop that laughing. <laughs> you just keep that cup, that, that fork in your hand. <laughs> what am I saying? I'm saying you're ready to eat all the time. Not just on Sundays. Not just in your quiet time, although you need to have that. Come on, you need to have your meals. Nathan will tell you this, it, it's better to, to have lots of meals, little meals. It's, it's good to eat all the time. I didn't get this way by eating sometimes. Stop it. You're going to keep it going. You keep your fork out. Keep your fork out. Keep fork in hand. Listen, you can die by your enemies or you can feast in front of them. I remember every dark season that I go through, every dark season I go through, and I will go through more, and I will go through harder seasons than I've been through already, and you will too. It will get darker. But what's unchanging is that there's always oil flowing, and there's always a meal ready to eat. Don't put your fork up. Don't put your fork up. When you're waiting tables, don't put your fork up. When you're talking to clients, don't put your fork up. God, what do you have for me to eat here? Even when the enemy is present, God works all things for the good. Those that love him and called according to his purpose. How does that happen? you got a fork in your hand. Lord, it's hard. Thank you, Jesus. You need a big fork like this when you eat from the master's table. Psalm 8110, open your mouth wide, and I will feel it. Open up. You know, like those little babies making airplanes? I'm all, like, into the sound effects. You know how little babies eat? Fork in hand. He desires for you to just eat from his table. Listen, one of the things that I've noticed every time, and I was getting into this just a minute ago that I got distracted by Jeremy laughing, is that every difficult season that I've gone through and every difficult season I, I will go through, is that God does this thing that I, that we've kind of coined the phrase mercy kisses. And so we're going through these hard times. God drops these little nuggets. And he says, don't you see how good I am? And we've just got to have our fork ready for when those things happen. We're just eating in the presence of my enemies What's difficult. Listen, I don't know what you're battling. I don't know how much discouragement or depression you're going through, but I'm telling you, will you just keep a fork in your hand? Will you just keep something in your hand to eat with? Because I'm telling you, God has something for you there. Will you eat it or will you just complain about it and it allow it to destroy you? And start believing, listen, start believing that you are anointed for purpose. Start believing that. God, you've healed me for purpose. You need to start declaring that. When you wake up in the morning, don't let the 75% of, 80% of people, the first thing they do in the morning, 80% of people that are online, 80% of people, the first thing they do in the morning, you know what it is? Check their Facebook. I found, I discovered this stat this week. 80% of people. The first thing that they do in the morning is check their Facebook. How many of y'all have done that before? I ain't lying. We wake up with a fork in our hand. Can I tell you, will you just, I wish I had some forks to give you this morning. Will you just keep a fork in your hand? And when you wake up, I've been having, I'm just gonna be real with you guys, I've been having a hard time sleeping like the last week. I've had a lot going on. And what I'm finding is like when I'm having a difficult time sleeping as I just pull my fork out and I just kind of feast on the Lord's presence. And as I do that, I'll be able to rest. And you know what I'm finding? And this is free. I'm finding that when I wake up, I'm experiencing God's presence. Like I go to sleep that way, I wake up and, and God is like in the bed with me. And I'm like, okay, I pull my fork out. Will we live there? Not just from a Sunday to Sunday, but we just live with our fork out. Stand up.